0: Trollodren Legends and Lore Episode Eighteen Cuthon well, hello, welcome to episode 18 of and Legends and Lore. I'm Chad Corey, and we're going to be continuing where we left off last episode. That is talking about uh, each an, ind- an individual god in the Trialodron pantheon. And again, we're going from the eldest to the youngest birth order, starting from the first generation and then continuing on to the second generation and, and so on and so forth. This episode, we're talking about Cuthon, like we said, and I'll get into that in just a minute, but I wanted to do a little mini-segue here, a little bit of a promotional effort, if I may, talking about the upcoming third book in the Wizard King trilogy, Triumph of the Wizard King, which will be coming out August 31st. It is the last book in the Wizard King trilogy, obviously, and if you haven't been following along or don't know what that is, uh, you can certainly go to any bookstore online or just anywhere, libraries, what have you, and avail yourself of that situation by getting a hold of a copy for book two and book one of the series or taking a sample, read from my website, chadcorey.com. The book is still in pre-order for those who are interested in taking advantage of that as well. And I think there should be some more information forthcoming and sample chapters and other fun stuff. Again, depending upon when you listen to this podcast, on my website, chadcorey.com, simply go under the works header on the page page. What do you call that menu? I guess, and go down and you access Trial of the Wizard King, uh, excuse me, Triumph of the Wizard King on the list, and take you right to the page and give you some more information about it. I know there'll be some promotional efforts going on with uh, Dark Horse and myself and other people, and there'll be keeping you informed of that as well, but I do want to let you know it is available and make you aware of it. So if you are interested or have previously read the series, wanted to check out book three, now you know when it's coming out. And there will be some more information about tour dates and other type of promotional things on the website in the very near future. So I would encourage you to check that out. Okay, that plug put aside there. Let's move into this particular episode and getting into the nitty-gritty of what we're going to be talking about today, which is Kuthon, And Kuthon's kind of an interesting god in and of himself. He is probably the most strongest of the gods. And because of that, he is in a position where he's always been kind of seen as more the martial deity or the one more in charge of security and defense and, and things like that. And that's kind of where he, where he found his role early on and kind of where Vakar, his father, encouraged him to develop and, and nurture those natural giftings, as it were. But in relation to the family, he is the brother of Cuthon, Ganatar, Drayden, Othon, Seradel Aserlach, Asora, and he's the uncle to Casilla, Indarin, and, and Sherrill, And he's also the father of Remonas and Perloza. And, of course, big thing here, he is the husband to Asora, and he is one of the Dark Gods. Now, originally, when the Pantheon first started he was given the position of head or leader of the Dark Gods, and that was taken over instead by Girthgall, who took that spot after relinquishing for Kar's throne. So he's kind of had a, a leadership position, I guess you could say, initially, and then he kind of took the back seat to, to Girthgall. But he's always had an interest in being part of or having a strong desire to kind of lead and steering gear things a certain way with the Dark Gods. That's kind of where he's kind of been politically as well over the years. And like the other gods we talked about so far, he is married, like I said, to Asura. And like the other marriages we mentioned in previous episodes, he is not one to necessarily live or cohabit with his wife. But he is definitely probably one of the amorous, more of the, one of the more amorous, I should say, excuse me, gods of the Pantheon. The relationship is, is pretty... Uh, pretty involved in that extent, shall we say, and that's probably evident given if you're reading the stories right now with Return of the Wizard King, uh, Sora is, is pregnant. So there may be some more gods coming in the future, which we might be talking about in future episodes. But basically, he is seen as the god of giants, Jarthal, who are the predecessors and also the, I guess, subdivision or head, I should say, of different subdivisions of races such as ogres, goblins, hobgoblins. He's also seen as a god of strength, tyranny, and warfare. His realm is called Kratos, and he he lives there basically with those that follow him, usually giants, of course, some titans, and and various people that are more affiliated with his court and way of thinking, and and so on, just like the other gods do as well. And of course, those that follow him in life end up there in death for their afterlife and uh, all the wonderful things that might entail. And again, basically, like I said, he's part of the Dark Gods. He kind of has more of a, I don't want to say a sub-leadership position, but he's he's actively involved, shall we say. He's, not everyone is always as as involved as he is. Obviously, Gerthgol is head of up. He likes to get his say in, shall we say, more often than not. Some of his titles include The Mighty One, Lord of Battle, Father of Giants, Bringer of War, and Warbringer. And it's probably a good thing here, to, too, to kind of segue into what he is known for, why they call him the God of Giants is because he basically created them. Now, I don't know if I mentioned some of this in the other gods, That's might be my fault, I apologize for that, but Ganatar created the uh, Minotaurs, and they're a race of like kind of quasi-Minotaur-like people, but they're winged and they have a different type of head, uh, bovine head for their bodies. And then you have uh, Remonas creating different races, we'll get to him later on, and we have other gods making different races. Girthgol, for instance, made the Lenorms. And kind of involve them and put them involved in the populating uh, Tralodrim later on, but but Cuthon was able to create two different races. He created the giants, who he wanted to kind of emulate and epitomize what he thought was the best aspect of not just you know himself as a god, but also just in general the Titan race and things like that as well. So strength and size and and might and you know all that kind of fun stuff got wrapped into the original concept of of giants. And he is solely responsible for creating them, which was done in the beginning of uh, Trilodrim. He also had his hand in creating what he was calling, uh, excuse me, what was called the Jarthals. And they, like I said, were the predecessors of what would later become the goblinoid races, which or the Jarthalian races, however you want to call it. Different people say different things. But those are the ogres, the hobgoblins and the goblins primarily that kind of are connected to and came from the Jarthals as a as a whole. And so he has basically a kind of a, a decent monstrous race grouping, shall we say, that follow him plus the giants. So he has a pretty good following in that camp and some other parts of the monstrous races follow him as well. And of course, there are always people that like to follow him. Who are involved in warfare or, you know, shall we say tyranny or strength or involved in the concepts of, you know, might makes right, that kind of stuff. And there's there's a split in the dichotomy of how people people worship him and how they see him. Obviously, if you're in the, the military or if you're knights or things, or people that are very martial or or strength oriented or combat focused in in your mindset, you're going to be more inclined to follow him in a positive sense because, you know, your strength and, 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 you know, that could be a a positive thing, helping other people and stuff like that, or, or, you know, a strong hand to protect or control things against chaos and disorder and stuff like that. So just different ways to see it. Of course, the other flip side of that is that tyrannical side. We're trying to dominate the lesser or the weaker and you becoming the stronger and you're trying to rule over them as, you know, you see yourself as the better and, and so on and so forth. So obviously he has kind of a mixed review with what's going on with the, uh, the population in general, but he has a much more favorable opinion with the giants and with most of the monstrous races, as we call them, basically, or the Jotholian races, you know, that came from them. How does he appear? Basically, in general, he usually has, he takes the same guise that he is, is in real life, but, you know, some minor flourishes here and there, but basically, he's like like all gods of the, the first generation. He's 15 feet tall, He has soft brown eyes, he has thick curly red hair, and he's kind of a fair-skinned individual as well. The big thing he usually has is kind of a, it's called a scruffy goatee, and the goatee isn't one that wraps around what some people think of a goatee, you know, the whole mustache down to the, around the lips and down to the chin. He just has the the goatee, the scruffy chin part of it. That's kind of his thing. He's kept consistent usually in all, even in all the ways he appears to different people. He always kind of has that in there as well. I guess he must like that for whatever reason. But again, he has been long infatuated and had a long commitment and desire to Asura, although he hasn't really always been faithful. And that's something we'll get into in just a second here. Uh, Backing up a moment, talking about the different marriages and such with the gods, all of them have been faithful except for Asura and Kuthon. Now, Asura has been herself been very faithful, it's been Cuthon who's had the the wandering eye and shall we say the wandering uh, encounters with various uh, people throughout the uh, throughout the history of the the world and cosmos. He does like the ladies. He does like to uh, have his uh, entertainment, shall we say, with. Uh, Certain women, and uh, he has done so in the past, and surprisingly, their marriage has uh, it's maintained, and they've had uh, obviously have more kids now coming with uh, her recent pregnancy, so he has sired some children as well um who we're not going to share too much about in this particular episode because i might I might want to talk more about that later and talk about what what that's called and what that can be ending up for a whole other series, I guess you can say with Gods bond. and Gods bond basically and i'm not trying to get distracted here, but gods find basically are not really gods, not really sub-gods, or if basically, if you want to call them in the mythological sense, they'd kind of be like demigods. They'd be a combination of a, a god or a divinity or a lesser divinity or another god or what have you, and they'd be they'd be a kind of a lesser form of that. And so there's been uh, probably about, oh, a rough count, I guess, made about 20 or 25 or so throughout history who have come and gone, um, some more famous than others. And I'll probably get to that at some point in time, but just for now, know that know that Cuthon has had his hand in 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 creating a few of those at least over the years. And uh, but yet even even so, like I said, he still remained really, I guess I don't want to say committed, but I mean because he's obviously done things in the past has broken that commitment. But he's he always comes back to her. Sorry, he's still uh, madly in love with her, and and uh, I guess you can say obsessed and. Uh, about her in general. And Asura for her part, has been rather forgiving and accepting of that and still continues to uh, stay with him and allow him, obviously, to have more kids with her. So there's that with their marriage thing. Um, turning the corner here to what his symbol looks like, it is called the Steel Cross. And it's made up of two falchins, um or just any crossing swords in general. They're crossing in front of a round shield. Now in banners, the shield is silver over a black background with the swords being blood red. Uh, When it's painted on shields, for instance, it changes a little bit for a crest with just the blood red swords being the main uh, imagery used. But for priests, for the most part, it's a round steel pendant with a bas-relief carving of the two cross swords over each other. That serves as their holy symbol, as all of the priests. I think you figured out by now, have that as some type of demarcation of, of who their allegiance is to and who they serve. And this, of course, medallion is attached to, or pendant is attached to, a uh, heavy leather strap or cord, whatever is more appropriate for the individual priest based on their beliefs and money and all that kind of fun stuff. As far as family relations go, he is, I guess, guess an okay father <laughs> with his kids i mean he's not the worst but he obviously favors one over the other he he tends to really enjoy uh, Remonasse more than Perloza although Perloza isn't the best kid either as we'll find out later on in a future episode but he has more of a relationship with Remonasse he just likes the more more manly kids so to speak in in his family and he kind of kind of gets along better with him and trains him he wants to kind of make him I don't want to say more like him, but just more like the best Remanos Remanos can be, if that if that makes sense. And obviously he sees him as a, an asset because he is also in the the Dark Gods and he is part of that group, whereas uh, Perloza is not. She is in the Grey Gods. There's kind of some you know philosophical, if not political, divisions that way too. Plus, again, Perloza isn't the best, best character in and of herself either. It's kind of hard to get along with, so... They have some friction, and he obviously, given his past with uh, marital relations and faithfulness and such, there's some friction between him and Asura that might come up from time to time. But in general, he gets along probably better with Asura, and and probably even better with Remon. Austin does with Perlosa. So it's not, not the most ideal family, but he makes it work, or he puts up with it. And again, he's not there all the time. He doesn't really see his family, like every single day either. He you know he visits them periodically, if at all. He's he's more focused on his agenda. What he wants to accomplish and achieve, and there's always some greater glory, and greater thing just over the hill that he has to accomplish and do, and and show himself strong and the master of, in some way, shape, or form. And that's kind of been his driving philosophy and goal in life and everything he does since since the very beginning. So you can kind of see where he he might not be necessarily the best person to be married to, but or the best father necessarily. But he he makes he makes do, and he. He's kind of been making it work to some extent, but again maybe not the best like say as a, as a Ganatar or something like that which has a little bit better relationship with with his children. But in general, he's not necessarily seen as an evil God, even though he's part of the dark gods. He is just seen like I said he has a seen differently by different groups obviously based on what's going on and what's needed to happen. If you have a suddenly have a war, and you want a good defense and a great army for you, you might start you know praying and even sacrificing different things to to Cuthon to guarantee that you have a successful battle outcome in your favor. So I mean it's he's kind of the practical God for those that need help and aid, but he's also seen, like I said, you could be seen as a manly god, people that that are men obviously that want to emulate strength and you know dominance and this project that successful image and things so people might embrace him for that as well. So again, it's a different way of looking at him by different people over different things. And that that's adds to more of his mixed bag, shall we say, with who he is as a, as a deity and as an individual and in general. And I think we'll kind of wrap things up there for this particular episode, giving, like I said, just a nutshell of who Cuthon is about. But obviously, if you're interested more, he will be showing up more, just a little bit hint in the third book, Triumph of the Wizard King. He already kind of made an appearance in Trial, if you haven't read that yet. So you're getting a little bit more of a of a feel for how he kind of is and interacts. But again, if you have any questions, any comments, maybe you want to learn some more about the gods or Cthulhu in general, please let me know. Shoot me off an email at lore, that's L-O-R at chadcorey.com. That's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. I'll be happy to take a look at it, see if I can address what you're putting forth, or maybe even answer some questions in an upcoming episode or even, uh, even in the email, whatever is more applicable or possible, and go from there. Otherwise, we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.